guys are old enough, they will be reunited with mom in the flight cage and uh, they'll be released where she came from. You are listening to Hey podcast listeners, I just wanted to jump in here really quick because since Tony's interview with um, Stephanie and Evan, we have gotten a Patreon.com account, uh, patreon.com slash urbanwildlifecast, where we're raising a little bit of money for some better microphones to improve your listening experience. Thank you. This is what they look like at 15 days. And then at six weeks, uh, they're juveniles, eight weeks they're adults, and I'm getting ready to go flying in the flight cage. Could you tell me the story of how you came across this, the, these particular bats here? These two? Um, their mom was brought in to us in the winter. She was stuck to a glue trap. She had been there for quite a few days. She was really emaciated, extremely dehydrated. Um, and something that we're seeing that reoccurs when bats are stuck to glue traps is the tips of their third wings. Um, dry and they basically fall off so they lose the function of the tip of their third wing their third finger I mean not third wing um, and with her she was in captivity she was doing fine we noticed that she was getting plump um, kind of too late to release her plus she was trying to recover from her injuries and when she gave birth we made sure you know she was on antibiotics before birth and then um, in the third trimester we took her off antibiotics to not harm uh, prevent from harming the fetus and she gave birth everything seemed great and then two days later she stopped lactating so the male this is the boy he was found hanging away from mom which is not normal for pups uh, with their firstborn they, they cling to mom for the first week and a half of life um, and the female pup uh, which is still in there she was hanging on mom but she she's all wrapped up yeah she's okay. all she's cozy in her little burrito um, she was still hanging on mom, but mom wasn't lactating. So we made the decision um, to take her away from mom and, and raise both of them. And then we treated mom with antibiotics and she has made a full recovery. So when these guys are old enough, they will be reunited with mom in the flight cage and uh, they'll be released where she came from. So that's our ultimate goal. We usually typically get um, get them around the second week of June. Last year we had 30. I know it sounds adorable, but it's not when you're waking up every two hours. She, her and her brother, they're twins. They're 15 days old today. So they grew. When they were babies, like we took them, she weighs about, yesterday they weighed 8.5 grams. Um, so they have a little less than half their weight to go yet. But when they, uh, when we started raising them, they were about 2.9 grams. You can see her suckling. Like her little bottom lip quivers. They're actually cute. <laughs> they are, and they they love to stay clean. So a bat that's not clean is either injured. Bats are like people don't think about it, but even being dehydrated, mm -hmm. they they can't they don't have enough energy to fly and okay. do what they do. We have um, around ten non-releasable bats right now, and they're they're so funny in the morning when it's the sun's coming in. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Just the sun came up, they start grooming. And, put oh, their wings wow. out, okay. clean themselves. It's so cool. 
Vampires are one of the most social species out there. It's very strange that if a, a vampire bat mom dies, she's falling asleep. Um, another female will come and take care of that baby. So they're very social and they're very, you know, people, they get a bad rap. They're not that big. That's like so cool. They're so, but they're really cool looking too. Yeah, she's snoozing. Look at that. Mm-hmm. She's like, good night. Full belly. Hello, welcome to the Urban Wildlife Podcast. So, I would like our guests to say their names and who they represent. Um, so we have on on record. I'll start with you, uh, our guest, our main guest. Yay! Uh, Stephanie Stronsick, I'm the president and founder of Pennsylvania Bat Rescue. And Evan Lovett, I am the co-founder and director of Vert Creative. And we already did an, a, a podcast episode with Evan, and that kind of got the ball rolling on some collaborations between Evan and, and me at work. I'm actually at Cops Creek Environmental Center right now, and Evan just dropped off some paintings that we'll, we will be displaying, and his group did uh, two sessions of a kids painting class here that was ridiculously successful and we hope to bring back when he brought it in uh, we didn't you know the environmental center is new to being in a city system and we're kind of starting from scratch with getting people out for events so i said well i think we'll get between four and 14 and we end up having to turn people away from it yeah we had over 25 for each class yeah so the starter brush classes and more than that it would be too much to uh to handle I want some close materials so that was awesome I'm looking forward to do a lot more with him but right now we have Stephanie with the bat rescue and I am very excited I am a birder that's my main thing as you all know our listeners know um, but I don't like to think of myself as a one, one trick pony um, and I got a bat detector um, I ordered one for the environmental centers and our bat programs are very popular um, Actually, the Wissahickens Higgins are more than Cobbs Creek, which is unfortunate because we actually get way more species of bat at Cobbs Creek than at Wissahickens. Higgins. Perhaps you can answer that why that might be. Um, but I'd like to know about your organization, um, how it got started, and what exactly you do. I don't know if you want me to, if you want to just go on a spiel or maybe have me <laughs> ask you questions along the way. You can ask questions along the way because uh, I'm very forgetful and I don't always. Well, when did you start your organization? So we were sub-permitting under ARC Wildlife. They're based in Chalfont, which is Bucks County. Um, I sub-permitted under them for quite a few years. I felt like a, a bird in a sense where I, eventually I became a fledgling and they're like, okay, you know, you need to go get your permits. And I was like, oh, but I really don't want to. Um, and then we actually got permitted, licensed through the Pennsylvania Game Commission um, October 31st of 2017. So I've been doing bat rehabilitation here in Pennsylvania for I would say five or six years um, and then I did bat rehabilitation out in San Diego California for several years and how big is your operation do you are you, do you have employees or are you only is it one person show how's it how's it work so our rescue organization is actually a nonprofit organization so we're all volunteers every single one of us even I am we don't get paid to do what we do we don't get money or grants from um, government agencies or anything like that so we're not funded through them everything we receive is donations from the public or programs school programs that we do Um, and we actually all of the rehabilitators our interns our volunteers all have full-time jobs on top of what we do so it's very 
difficult, but it's our dedication, so. How many um, bats do you, um, well, what exactly is bat rescue? Where are the bats coming from? Um, how are you encountering them generally? And um, how many do you, do you deal with a year, do you think, uh, on average? So our rescue in the past year has received over 200, but every year that progressively grows, and it's probably either due to people being more adventurous and spotting bats that are in need of help, um, as well as our organization getting more publicity. Um, basically what rescue entails is any bat that's found on the ground um, pretty much needs some sort of help, whether it be a day or a few months long or if it has injuries. Bats don't live on the ground. So if they're found, people will call the game commission and then they'll refer them to most likely us. Um, we also get bats that are cat caught uh, in people's houses. We don't do colony removal, which uh, is something that you have to be licensed through the state in order to do. Um, bats are protected in a lot of different ways. And um, baby bats, we get a lot of orphan baby bats every year. So when it gets really hot, it gets kind of um, stressful for any species, but bats typically respond by pushing their babies off of them because in a colony of bats, it can be anywhere from 100 to 115 degrees. And that's, that's pretty warm for the furred females, so they, they push the babies off, and unfortunately, sometimes they fall, and then we get a call. And when you, the bats that are abandoned, or are they generally, I would assume this is almost entirely man-made structures that are found in, because I don't think people, I mean, people probably aren't going into caves and like hollowed out trees, <laughs> right, to find them? Um, we've actually had people cut down dead trees and there'll be a silver hair in there or a small colony of silver hair. Um, a lot of tree species we do get as well, like red bats, especially during the summer months where the females come back to give birth. The females migrate south, the males stay here over winter for the most part. Um, the females will give birth and then they look like a dead leaf because they're really interesting colored, but um, they, they camouflage very easily. However, blue jays can spot them in a split second, and if they see a bat in a tree, they anything in a tree, they will become aggressive and attack it. So we get a lot of red bats that are attacked by blue jays and other birds that are territorial. Um, and horays, we generally see um, them towards the end of summer. Some people will be walking on trails or just... We have a lot of birders in our county, and they will spot a bat hanging low on a bush, and they know that that's not normal, so they'll contact us as well. Yeah, Bucks County is, is uh, of the counties that surround Philly, probably the best for birding. It's a yeah. good, really good birding community. In huge landfills that attract lots of goals, lots of rare goals, and lots of birds <laughs> go to those. Yeah, we also have um, near us in... We're in Berks County, and near us we have, um, I think it's White Marsh. Yeah. So a lot of birders go there, too. Yeah. Well, Berks County, you also have the top end of it, right? Yeah, Hawk Mountain. We do, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm hmm. So. so. Yeah, Berks is interesting because you get the probably the farthest reach of the Philly suburbs all the way to yeah. the mountains. Yeah, it's kind of one of those intermediate counties. Where yeah. We actually, in our backyard, which is interesting, we had indigo buntings, a scarlet tanager, and these, I'm like trying to catch up on my bird species, but it was really interesting. We don't usually see them nice. migrate through and then the gross beaks. So yeah, they're gorgeous. It's my nerdiness. 
And so how much of these, um, and you're the only bat rescue operation like in Southeast Pennsylvania, right? Um, so we have about, I'm not entirely sure, so don't quote me, but 32 or 33 licensed wildlife rehabilitators in the entire state of Pennsylvania. So uh, some of those rehabilitators are also licensed to take rabies vector species, which is what bats fall into. Uh, we are the only ones that specialize only in bats. So we do get calls for other mammals and other rabies vector species. We refer them to our other rehabilitators, but we specialize in bats and the care of them. So I think it's very important to specialize sometimes in species, to, especially with some that are difficult. And they're low down on the rabies vector list, right? Like, mm -hmm. like people inflate the fear of them with rabies a lot. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to get rabies from just looking at an animal. Yeah. Um, an animal has to bite you. And typically, people are more inclined to try to um, illegally raise baby raccoons than they are uh, illegally raising baby bats. So um, it's really important for the public to understand that, yes, they're cute and you're trying to help them, but I think the best thing to do in order to try and help them is contact a rehabilitator. Yeah, and so raccoons are the number one rabies vector species as far as wildlife is concerned in Pennsylvania, and then domestic is cats, feral is it, cats. Overall, is it cat number two? Isn't it rabies, isn't, is it raccoons then cats overall? I think, um, I was looking at the map from last year, and I think possibly cats surpassed, feral cats surpassed raccoons, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I know they're very close. I thought it was from what I read last year was raccoons number one cats number two and it's crazy that people will you know they're so afraid of bats that you're never i mean how are you gonna get rabies from a bat right like when you get reach into a cave and pick one up i mean i, I heard of a rabid beaver attacking uh, a fisherman in, in philly in a penny yeah, yeah i heard that but when i asked further about it they're like oh yeah he like poked it with his with his oil. So he, he so instigated almost, almost all these stories involved same with like with snakes you know with the uh, better snakes Almost all of those because I would try to pick it up. Mm -hmm. But now we have these, but we have cats who are the number two rabies vector, and know what everybody, I mean, I do, I know better. And a cat, mm -hmm. a friendly outdoor cat will come up to me and I'll pet it, and I, I know better, you know? Yeah. And I wouldn't pet a raccoon even though I like raccoons a lot more. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it still like gets me, but. Yeah. yeah. How, um, how much do you get of cat um, victims? Cat caught bats, we get a lot. Honestly, it's probably the biggest concern regarding wildlife rehabilitation across all species. Um, being that you're a birder, um, cats kill and attack a lot of birds, and they also do the same for bats. And cats are not the, a species that kill an animal just because they're hungry. They kill it for simply pleasure. Um, and we get quite a few, and honestly, a lot of them don't make it because cats carry pasteurellus bacteria in their mouth and as soon as they scratch or bite even a person you have to get treated with antibiotics well in a small bat that infection spreads very quickly so a lot of our bats if they don't die of the initial wound itself sometimes if they don't get antibiotics in time they'll they'll die from bacterial infections that's that's terrible um how did you so, okay, you have some bat tattoos. <laughs> some. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, what came first? Like, did you work in rehab, wildlife rehab, and then encounter bats and then get affinity for them? And, the, and or did you 
love bats and seek out working in wildlife refuge so you could, you know, help them or something else? It's a weird process. It was over decades. Uh, looking back on it, I actually started um, loving bats when I was seven. My grandparents owned a 1700s house um, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and there was a colony of um, the tricolored pipistrels or tricolored bats. And every summer they'd come back and it was always females. And they would just look up, we'd look up and they'd look down at us and everything was fine. But there would be several times throughout the summer where my grandmother would have to retrieve a baby bat. And the whole colony was yelling at each other, you know, all in distress. And she'd put her garden glove on and put the bat back up. And this is a 70, 80 year old woman at the time, um, picking a bat up and putting it back. And then everybody was quiet. And it was just like that little gesture that she did repetitively kind of just stuck. I, and there was like no fear of any animal <clears throat> minus worms. I don't, I don't like worms. <laughs> <laughs> so it started, it started when I was seven. And then I moved out to San Diego. Um, and I, when I moved to an, a new house, we had this backyard. But in California, it's like a backyard is two feet. And I'm like, why would I buy a lawnmower? Uh, so we adopted tortoises, and that kind of spiraled into getting involved with mm -hmm. wildlife rehab out there. And they did. The wildlife rehabilitation that I did out there, who I worked with, um, Project Wildlife, um, they took every species, including rabies vector, except bats. There was a gentleman that took the bats. And I was like, ooh, I want to know him. <laughs> so that's how that started, and it was really interesting. Let's get depressing for a minute here. Oh, no. <laughs> White nose syndrome. <clears throat> yeah. And then maybe we'll get uplifting when we talk about your mural. Um, <laughs> but um, it seems like your work is more valuable than ever now that White nose syndrome has <clears throat> is, is, hit our area because the individual lives of, of these bats probably mean more than ever now. Is that Would you say that's the case? Um, I'm sure you think they always do, but now the numbers are getting really knocked down. Because could you talk to us a little bit about white nose syndrome and and what it's done to our bat population? Okay, so white nose syndrome is a fungal infection um, that naturally occurs in Europe. Cavers um, were researching in Europe, and then they came over to the United States, and they didn't decontaminate their equipment or their clothing. And the spores traveled on their equipment and clothing, and they went um, exploring in a cave in New York in 2006. And then it just, you know, bats are very social, especially those species that are affected, and they travel um, all over the place when it comes to migrating and hibernating. And it has spread and killed um, millions of bats. But particularly in Pennsylvania, we are one of the hardest-hit states. And so what happens is bats that go into hibernation if the spores are found in that cave um, and they become infected with the fungus, it's kind of like cottage cheese or anything that develops spores um, and fungus. It's kind of like sunburn. Just think about like really bad sunburn where it hurts, but it itches at the same time. And these bats are in a very, very, very deep sleep called torpor uh, where their heart rate slows down dramatically. Their immune system is suppressed their metabolism, heart rate, everything slows down to conserve energy for hibernation. Um, and then this fungus kind of irritates them and it wakes them up. So all the fat that they stored to get them through all those months is now being burned up because they're active. And in order for them to 
you know, they're trying to groom this fungus off of them, their body temperature has to go from 40 degrees to 100 degrees. So they're burning up all that fat trying to get rid of this fungus and they're itching themselves and scratching and grooming. Um, and then they leave the cave early because they think, oh my God, my fat storage is completely gone. I need food, I need water. And they go out to the cave, the mouth of the cave, and uh, it's the middle of January and they starve to death because there's nothing to eat. There's no insects. That's the only main food source of our bats here in Pennsylvania or they dehydrate because there's no actual water. So they're trying to eat the snow to get some form of hydration. So that's basically what's going on. Um, I went out with the Pennsylvania Game Commission biologist, uh, the endangered mammal specialist. A few weeks ago, we, um, we swabbed uh, a colony of Indiana bats. They're federally endangered. They've been endangered since the 70s. Um, and then the little browns. And they had noticeable uh-huh. spores on them. So we're, they were swabbing to research the viral... Um, kind of isolate the virus that is associated with what's going on with the them. fungus and a virus they're thinking that it's it's quite a few different things wow um so we have to kind of leave it up to them to decipher what's really going on um so that's part of our mission we're not just rehabilitation we also educate the public and schools and do lots of programs but we also do conservation i feel like that's a huge part if you're doing a particular species it's important to know everything about it including what's going out on in the natural world in order to better what we do in our rehab so we do everything (laughs) and conservation what are your conservation efforts you're involved in well we do we do the uh survey with the game commission every year um every summer and then we do monitoring throughout the local areas so we do telemetry where we use bat detectors and um, kind of figure out what species is in the area and affected by what's going on um, there are known uh, northern long-eared bats in our area which is really amazing um, they're almost locally extinct so we monitor them every year and um, we do some mist netting our intern is working on a project right now in Bucks County where she's mist netting so nice. yeah how can people support you? What's your contact and your um, your you know, f- website, Facebook? What's how do people get? We have Twitter? all of it. <laughs> so, what is your what are your handles there? Social media contacts. Um, Pennsylvania Bat Rescue. You can uh, search us on Facebook or Instagram. We also have pabatrescue.org. We are redoing the website, which is exciting, um, time consuming, but exciting. Uh, and donations. Donations help us to feed all the bats that we get. So we go through, in the summer, we go through forty to 50,000 mealworms a week. That's a hefty bill. And that's just the food consumption of the bats. That's not the medical care and then everything else that goes in, uh, involved with that. So donations are really appreciated. Um, and you can find that information on our website. And to raise awareness of the bat rescue, Vert is doing a mural, right? Yeah, so through Vert, um, I've been working on a, a series of murals called Local Curves, which uh, you guys, we, we talked about before on, on previous podcasts, where uh, I'm depicting different animal species that live within our city limits or close to the city that people just might not be aware of. Uh, with the next mural being a bat, a large bat, I am trying to not only raise awareness that this animal exists, but also about the Pennsylvania Bat Rescue so that more people know about the people doing everything they can to, to make a difference. That's awesome. 
I once, I think I told you, I was asked to submit art for a, a vat conservation show, and uh, I took it a different direction. I made a um, a planting, like in a nice um, ceramic, you know, vessel. I forget, I guess a vase, but it's kind of like a planter, you know, somewhere between a vase and a planter. But I used uh, uh, plants that were traditionally pollinated by bats. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, and a lot of the people submitting were, you know, artists that have an interest in in wildlife, but I'm I'm more like a biologist that has somewhat of an, an interest in art. art. So <laughs> I, I had a, nice. uh, you know, signage associated with it, you know, that talked about, and maybe people who came didn't know that bats are, you know, some plants, the only pollinator or the primary pollinator of certain plants. And I'll, so that was a good opportunity um, for education. If Typically I work a normal 40 hours a week and then I spend another five to eight hours every single night and weekends with my bat rescue, yeah. doing cleaning and feeding. It's not all glamorous, so we, we do all the behind the non-fun things of rescue. Oh, we need to get you. So that, that takes a yeah, lot. Yeah, we need to get you so this is your job. And then, on top of that, <laughs> I'm feeding babies every two hours. So baby bats are one of the, the hardest species to rehab. Um, but they also require feedings more frequently than other species, like raccoons and things can go four hours or however long without feeding. No, I'm up at every two hours. So by the middle of July, I'm a zombie. Like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Dedication or insanity, I'm not really sure which. Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> Is there anything that, um, you know, we didn't cover that you really want to make sure we cover right now we have an eagle scout project going on they're building a huge flight cage for us we have an indoor flight cage right now which is essential for the juveniles so when they learn to fly they're not injuring themselves and then we have the outdoor one um, and anybody that wants to donate to their supplies because they're an eagle scout project is more than than welcome they can get a hold of us through the website and then pretty much our 10-year plan is to build um, a separate facility for the bats um, and to expand our rehab because we like I said we get around 200 bats a year and it's gradually increasing um, so any any donations would be appreciated of the bats that come to you what percentage of them make it out it differs from year to year because some years you'll get more injured bats that you just can't save um, but we've been working with our vet very closely on a lot of ailments that normally bats would be euthanized for. Like um, if they have a fractured radius or humerus, we're able to pin those now and to heal them and then pull the pin out and do some rehabilitation and get them back out into the wild. My vet, uh, Radner Vet Clinic, um, they're amazing. He did a one-of-a-kind surgery for a bat that was found at Lake Nakamixon. Radner? Radner, yeah. And wait, not, you're in Bucks County? I'm in Berks. So you're, we, you're in Berks we, County? Okay, yeah, 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 so we yeah. travel pretty far. I mean, yeah, he's wow. there are all the veterinarians there are amazing. Um, and so she fell behind this bat box, and she fell two stories. But when she fell, she didn't break any bones, which is normally what happens, but her jaw became dislocated. And I, uh, we had her on a soft food diet for a while, and um, 
we did an x-ray at Radnor and they said, you know, her, her jaw is dislocated. And, they, you know, we had the option of either euthanize or try a really interesting one-of-a-kind procedure. And obviously we're going to go for the procedure and, if, you know, give her a chance. And so they cut open her around near her jaw and put a suture through her jaw. They reattached it and realigned it with a suture. And we did six weeks, I think, of therapy. And now she's eating by herself. This was a bat that could not eat by herself because her jaw was so misaligned. Um, So it's amazing. We really go to extreme lengths to try to get them back out. Because as you said earlier, the bats are in severe decline. Yeah. so a majority of our bats are, we have nine species in PA, four are being considered as in the next 20 years being locally extinct. Wow. That's a big deal considering bats eat a lot of insects and a variety of insects. Um, obviously they're known to eat a lot of mosquitoes, but really mosquitoes are an appetizer for these large animals with high metabolisms. Um, the tricolored bat can eat up to its body weight and food every night. And you think of that as a human, that's like us eating how, you know, a hundred and whatever pounds of food a night, (laughs) you know, so that's a lot of food. Um, And they're burning it off just as quickly. And um, so some of the bats will eat stink bugs, native stink bugs, um, the invasive Japanese beetle. Um, They'll all eat a variety of moths, leaf hoppers, and some species eat mosquitoes, and they can eat up to a thousand mosquito-sized insects in an hour in the summer. And that's just one bat, so they're pretty, pretty important, I think, you know, for yeah. your ecosystem. I have to say, when when I came to visit your rescue, and I got to watch you release the rehabilitative bat. That was it was really awesome. Not just see like, <laughs> not to just watch the release itself but your reaction to it and like how oh. <laughs> happy, happy and sad you were simultaneously it's a bittersweet moment <laughs> yeah I mean, it was it was awesome to like know that all the work that went into having this bat be able to survive again and take care of itself and like it's, i mean it was, it was amazing you. so i really again i really appreciate you thank you we appreciate tag along you. with that Absolutely. Thank you for coming by. And yeah. I mean, just you guys showing appreciation for what we do is, is a big deal because we kind of get pushed under the radar because bats kind of get demonized and criticized and all these crazy things. So, so Evan's got to go. I think, we, I think we covered a lot of this. I think, we, I think we're good, right? I think we got this um, covered. I really appreciate you coming out. I really appreciate it. I got to see you feed some, some, ba- some baby bats. Yeah. Some big brown bats. I have an idea. For fundraiser, um, there's a, a UFC fighter turned stand-up comedian who um, has a really successful podcasts and he's on like sh- has a show on Showtime, and it's Brendan Schaub and his nickname is Big Brown. Really? And he does the Big Brown breakdown. Oh my and, god! Uh, and so like you should you should you should get big you get Big Brown to donate to save some <laughs> Big Browns. That would be awesome. Or I could do a painting of a Big Brown with his face. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I have to reach out to him. Yeah. You should, you should just keep tagging. You're not Big Brown until you have a bat. Yeah. Sorry. No, yeah, every time, every time you do anything social media-wise regarding Big Brown bats, you got to tag him until eventually he figures it out. Yeah. There you go. That's like 99% of what we do is Big Browns. Yeah. So.